So I realized something after the fact last Sunday that we forgot to point out, and some of you may be aware of this already. Did you know that last Sunday was World Palindrome Day? Y'all know that? Some people in the first service are like, yeah, I know what that is. I saw that. I didn't even know what a palindrome was. So here it is. It's when something is the same forward and backwards, exactly the same, right? So the date last Sunday is read the same forwards and backwards. You know the last time that happened? Here it is. 11-11 of 11-11, 909 years ago. The next time it happens will be about 1,000 years from now, I guess, in 03-03-30-30 will be the next time around. So something pretty unique that took place only about once in every thousand years or so does that happen. That makes it quite a unique day. But did you know that you are even more unique than that? Created by God with a unique design, created by God for the purpose of being a part of His work in His kingdom. And today we get to delve into a little bit more of what that looks like. To say that God has not only created us uniquely, but has gifted us uniquely. And I believe there's something inside of us that wants to be a part of something greater than ourselves. We want to be included. We want to be wanted. Kind of makes me think back to those days of, you know, childhood days when you're dividing up teams and you have captains and there's always the, the poor kid. And some of us are like, I was that poor kid that gets chosen last, right? And it doesn't feel good to be the last one selected. And if you think about that just from a rational standpoint, it really doesn't matter, right? If you're on the team, you're on the team. But it does matter because we want to know that the captain thinks that we have something to contribute that we're not just, they're not getting stuck with us, but they actually want us to be a part of that team. Today, here's the good news. The captain, capital C speaking here, wants you to be a part of his team. And not only that, but he has gifted you to be a part. He has gifted you to contribute. See, I I believe that, that all of us want to do that. Some of us just don't know what to do. We want to serve. We want to to have an impact in some way greater than ourselves, but it's kind of like, okay, what do I do? So today we'll delve into that a little bit from a biblical standpoint, but also just a practical standpoint of some things that you can do to help take some steps toward discovering and then utilizing your unique giftedness as God has given you these gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is where I want you to follow along with me today. Starting in verse 1, it says, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working But in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now let's stop for just a second there and we'll come back and read a little bit more here in just a moment. But let's begin with what he talks about in verse 1 when it says, I do not want you to be uninformed is the way this is translated. Some of your translations say, I do not want you to be ignorant. This Greek word is a word that literally means to be without knowledge. The Greek word for knowledge, some of you know is the word gnosis. Uh, G-N, the, the, the G is silent, but G-N-O-S-I-S, Gnosis. So to be without knowledge is to put the A in front of it. You know how that works. If something is atypical, it means it's not typical. So, so 
agnostic, by the way, means without knowledge. Just a little thing. We, we pronounce the G when we say that. It really would be agnostic, probably, if we're, if we're saying it correctly. But, um, but, but he's saying, I don't want you to be without knowledge. I don't want you to be ignorant about this. It's important to understand uh, what he's talking about, it says, about gifts of the Spirit. Now, another thing that I discovered as I was delving into this a little further is the word gifts there is actually not even in the text. Literally what it says is, I don't want you to be uninformed about the Spirit. Now, from the context, we can see that he's talking about gifts of the Spirit, and he'll go through and list out several different ways that the Holy Spirit gives us. But the emphasis is not as much on the gifts as it is on the Spirit who gives the gifts. And that's kind of one of the main points that we'll see today. It's, it, when we're talking about spiritual gifts, it's really not about us. It's really all about God and what God wants to do through us. And let me also clarify that a spiritual gift is something that is given by God. This is different from natural abilities. Some of you were born with, a, with natural abilities. Maybe it's a, um, a high level of intelligence. You were born with an aptitude for music. You were born with athletic ability. Uh, those kinds of things. I mean, there are God-given, sometimes we talk about God-given gifts, right? A person is gifted in a certain way, and that is true. But this is different when we're talking about spiritual gifts. We're talking about those gifts given by the Holy Spirit for the purpose specifically of building up the kingdom. So the, 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 the thing is that sometimes God gives us spiritual gifts that might not actually be in alignment with our natural abilities. And he can do that and does do that very often. And we'll see some examples of that in just a little bit. But the first thing I want this kind of main idea here today is the importance that we need to educate ourselves about spiritual gifts. He says, don't be ignorant about this. Educate yourself about spiritual gifts. That means that it's important enough to spend the time digging into it to understand how all of this works together and more importantly to understand how this works in my life. How has God gifted me and what does that look like for me to exercise those gifts that God has given me? So take the time to dig in. One of the the tools that we're giving you, you can find this on our website if you go to the website and then go to the next step page which is where you generally find uh, anything that is a next step that you want to take there's a spiritual gift inventory it's also printed by the way in the bottom of your bulletin if you just want to go directly to that site a great way to kind of get the ball rolling is to go through and just answer these questions that kind of help you identify how might you be gifted in these areas and the thing I like about this one too, by the way, is it goes into your passions and experience. And all that ties together as well, more than just your, your spiritual gifts. Um, but take some time to do that. And I'll tell you, it'll take probably 30 to 45 minutes if you'll go through and, and really give it the time and, and thought. Um, but we ought to be delving into, outside of just hearing a sermon here once in a while or reading a passage of scripture, we ought to spend some time really digging into, you know, this is important. How has God gifted me and what does that look like for me to exercise that gift and, and um, building up the body of Christ? So the first thing is educate yourself about those gifts and understand uh, as much as you can. And we want to come alongside and help you with that too. But here's the second thing that I want you to see. And that is that God is the focus of spiritual gifts, not us. 
kind of touched on that a moment ago, but it's just so clear. Verses 4 through 6 keep talking about different gifts, but the same Spirit, you know, different kinds of service, same Lord, different kinds of working, but the same God who works in all of them. So it's really more about God and what God wants to do than it is about us. One of the things that we need to be careful of when we begin to delve into spiritual gifts is that we don't make the emphasis more about us and our area of giftedness or about the specific gifts and really get hung up on that more than about the fact that this is what God gives and it's all from the same God and for the same purpose. And that is building up uh, the, the, the body of Christ, as we'll see here in just a little bit. The emphasis isn't on how talented we are, but on how capable God is. That's the point. And there are a lot of people throughout Scripture that had a hard time and had to kind of learn this lesson the hard way. I think about Moses, for example. When God came to Moses and said, I want you to go to Pharaoh, tell him, let my people go. How did Moses respond? He said, I don't speak well. I don't think you want to send me. I think about Gideon. God gave, came to Gideon, who was terrified of, his, of the enemies. He was hiding out. And he says, go in the strength that you have and deliver your people. And Gideon said, um, do I need to remind you that I come from the weakest clan and that I am one of the weakest members of that clan? And he's trying to argue with God and tell God why that's not a good idea. I think about even the Apostle Paul. Although he didn't necessarily argue with God, Paul understood his own human weakness and how much he needed to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit in him. 1 Corinthians 2, he talks about how when he came to them, he didn't come with wise and persuasive words, but he says that when he came, he came in fear and trembling. Because he knew, in spite of the fact, by the way, that he did have the best education, the best religious background and education you could have. And he still said, I came with fear and trembling. And then you pick it up in verse 4, 1 Corinthians 2, 4 and 5. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Why? So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. See, he understood this. It wasn't about him being an exceptional communicator or a powerful you know, person or whatever. It's about the Holy Spirit's power through him. It's about the Spirit communicating this message and him relying on that. And that's true you know, even of, of coming to faith in the first place. That's true of the gospel message, isn't it? That it's really all about God's power and what God has done and can do, not about what we can do. In fact, for us to come into a relationship with Christ in the first place... We have to do something that is not easy for us to do, and that is to acknowledge our own inability. We have to come acknowledging that we are sinful and that we are incapable of making ourselves right with God. We can't do it. We'll never be good enough. And that is difficult for us to to really, truly come to grips with, but it's the beginning point. When we realize that we're not good enough and that we're incapable and that our sin causes us to fall short, then that puts us in a place where we're ready to be dependent upon Christ and what he has done. That he gave himself for us, he died in our place, rose from the dead. And at that point, we're ready to put our faith in Christ when we realize I can't get there any other way. But you have to get to that point first. Same is true when it comes to serving God, getting to a point of understanding, I can't do this on my own. It's not about how gifted I am or how talented I am. It's about how the Holy Spirit has gifted me and wants to work through me and do His thing through me. And so he, he lists out 
uh, different ways that that happens. In verse 7, it says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Love that phrase there. Two little phrases I like in this verse. The first one is the manifestation of the Spirit. So the way the Holy Spirit manifests Himself is through believers utilizing their gifts. We saw this last week. We were talking about in uh, 1 Peter Chapter 4, when we were talking about how the, when we use our gifts, it's the grace of God that God expresses His grace in its various forms. Same idea here. The Holy Spirit through us works His gifts through believers, through those that have a relationship with Him, that are surrendered to Him, that want to allow Him to do uh, what He wants to do. And so it's the manifestation of the Spirit. But then what is the purpose of it? End of verse 7, what does it say? The manifestation of the Spirit is given for what? The common good. In other words, this is for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. It is never for the purpose of highlighting an individual's giftedness. Okay? Anytime there's anything that where the focus is more on an individual or more on a particular gift than it is on the body being built up, then that's not a legitimate expression of that gift. And you see that, by the way, two chapters later in 1 Corinthians 14, he's talking about this this gift of tongues, but the way it was being expressed was in such a way that it was chaotic and nobody could interpret what was being said and it was not building up the body of Christ. And so he's kind of making that point that, that the gift is, if it's not being used for the common good, then it's not being used properly. And there is a list of several gifts in verses 7 uh, through 11. And um, you know, some of those are things that, that maybe we say, yeah, I would see that more frequently. Some of them maybe are things that we say, I, I may not see that as much, but it talks about things like wisdom and knowledge. And, and then it talks about faith. And then it talks about healing. It talks about miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, speaking in different kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues. Um, and then in verse 11, all these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. The, the question, one of the questions we might have, we look at this and might say, you know, some of those I see happening on a regular basis, and others I may not see as much, and why is that? Uh, why is it that, that, that we may not see some of those things? Um, well, my answer to that is I don't believe that the God who once was giving gifts is, is no longer capable of giving certain gifts. I can still give the gifts of things like healing and tongues and other things like that. I do believe that they were, were exercised in this context more frequently because of the need to authenticate this gospel message that was new, you know, and, and, and was, was just starting to spread. They didn't have scripture and their New Testament and things like that. But at the same time, I'm certainly not comfortable saying, hey, God can't, can't give those gifts anymore, and, and that got ruled out. Uh, but there are some that are listed here that we may not see exercises frequently. And there are a lot, by the way, that are not listed here that are talked about elsewhere in Scripture. This is not an exhaustive list in 1 Corinthians 12. Romans 12 talks some about it. Ephesians 4, which we'll be in next week, talks some about that as well. Um, but the point of all this is that God uses all of these different gifts for the common good. But then in verse 11 it says that He distributes them just as He determines. And by the way, if you were to jump ahead to verse 28, it would tell us that nobody has all of these gifts. And there's a very specific purpose for that too. 
Why is it that God didn't give every believer every gift? Because it forces us to depend on each other. It forces us to need one another and to work together within the body because nobody is able to do it all on their own. But, but one of the challenges we might have is we might look at some of the gifts that other people have. You ever had spiritual gift envy? You're like, man, I wish I could communicate like she does. I wish I had knowledge like he does. I, I, you know, you'd look at somebody and think, man, this person just has the gift of mercy. And I don't. And man, how I wish that I had that gift. You, you can get spiritual gift envy. If you do... There is a complaint department for that, okay? Here it is. We're going to put it up on the screen. There's the complaint department. <laughs> Stephen, he's just shaking his head over there. No, just feel free to, to email Stephen and complain if you don't like the way. No, really, really the spiritual gift. Complaint department, that's God himself. And I would encourage you, don't waste your time, okay? But God is the one. I mean, if we have an issue with how we're gifted, God is the one who gave those gifts to us. That's what, that's what it says. Here's what that means. It means that God decided which gifts to give you and which gifts not to give you. So to me, that says a couple of things. One, I should never feel inferior to somebody else because somebody else maybe has a more visible gift or something that is valued more highly by people in general. I should never feel inferior to that because God chose me, chose not to give me that gift. Or if I do have that gift, I should never feel like I'm somehow more important than somebody else because I have that gift. God decides. So that tells me that I can feel good about and feel confident about exercising the gifts that God has given me. And I can also feel confident about the fact that there are certain gifts God has not given me. And that's okay. That's the way God designed it. And so I don't have to feel somehow less than because I don't have all the gifts. That's, that's just the way he said it was going to work. All right, let's keep reading verse 12. And this gets into more why God doesn't give any one person all the gifts. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, labor free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Here's the, the, the point he's getting at here is the third main idea that the body requires all of its parts to function correctly. All the parts of the body have their function and they need to be working together in order for the body to function correctly. <clears throat> he points out in verse 13 the fact that they were all baptized by one spirit to form one body. And then he starts talking about Jews and Gentiles slave and free, are all part of one body. Now think about how radical that was in this time, in this culture, in this context. Even in the early church, I mean, you guys realize this, right? That even in the church, there was major disagreement about how Jews and Gentiles should interact and whether or not a Gentile had to become a Jew first in order to become a Christian. That was a major point of contention. Acts chapter 15, what we now sometimes call the Jerusalem Council, is where they met together and they discussed it and they debated it and they did come to the conclusion that a person comes to faith in Christ the same way whether they're Jew or Gentile. And that's by trusting in Jesus. You don't have to become a Jew first in order to become a Christian. But there were a lot of Jewish people that felt that way. And they had all this history and all this tension between Jews and Gentiles. And now all of a sudden, because they are one in Christ, they're, they're considered to be different parts of the same body. That's pretty radical stuff. The same thing is true about 
slave and free. I mean, think about that. A slave owner and a slave being a part of the same body and being put on equal ground before God, that's radical. And yes, it is. The gospel message is radical. I look at that today and I think application for today. Your mind probably goes the same place mine does. We have an issue in our culture today with a lot of racial tension and things that that flow out of racial tension. And so there's some similarity in our culture today between different groups of people and a lack of oneness or a lack of unity among those groups of people. What's the answer to that? The answer, I mean, yes, it's great to get together and you know, have focus groups and discuss and all that. That's wonderful. But the real answer, if we could really express the, the oneness in Christ that we have, that's our answer, right? Is that we are one in Christ. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter what your, what your racial background is. None of that matters. What matters is that, that we share oneness in Christ. And yet, sometimes even in the church today, that's not reflected very well. It's been said before, maybe you've heard this, that the most segregated hour of the week happens on Sunday morning. And there's a lot of truth to that. A lot of times when churches come together, it's a very segregated type of experience. And there are some reasons for that that I understand. You know, maybe it's stylistic or whatever. Um, But how much better is it when the people of God are able to come together as one regardless of their background? I love the fact that there are business owners and blue-collar workers that are in part of the same body, that there are people of different backgrounds and even couples of different racial backgrounds that are together and it's all just oneness because of the, the, the relationship that we have through Christ. That's the way it should be. And it's exciting when that does take place. That's a good, good thing. Um, but he reminds them here that that oneness comes from their relationship that they have with Christ. But they also are reminded that they need each other. They need one another. Because when the body doesn't all work together the way it's supposed to, it just, it just doesn't work. And we won't take the time to read uh, verses 15 and following, but basically what it's saying is this, that one part of the body can't say, I don't need you. Each part needs to do its own job. And even those <clears throat> parts of the body that seem insignificant or seem to be less important, are just as important. Um, for example, I'll probably mispronounce this, but the stapedius muscle in your inner ear is the smallest muscle in the body. It's one millimeter. And yet the function that it has is extremely important. It pulls back the stapes bone, which is the smallest bone in the body, by the way, to protect the inner ear from loud noises, including the sound of your own voice. So this tiny little muscle, if it isn't functioning properly, you would know it and it would be a problem. Or take the smallest organ in the body, it's the pineal gland, located near the center of the brain in the groove between hemispheres. It's the smallest organ, but it produces melatonin. Melatonin is what allows us to, you know, to sleep and to make adjustments between seasons and things like that. If that's out of whack, then your whole body is messed up. Every part of the body has a job to do. And each part needs to do its job in order for the body to function the way it should. Now, sometimes the body figures out how to use certain parts of the body in ways that they were never designed to be used. 
And we might look at that and say, man, that's amazing to see what people can do with certain parts of their body. For example, I happened to come across this video. It's about a minute long, showing some amazing things that people can do with parts of their body that I'm pretty sure were never intended to be used that way. But let's take a look here at this as we see some guys using their hands for things that I'm pretty sure they, they weren't intended to do. So these guys are racing down 50 steps in China there, which is pretty remarkable. And I don't know what those guys are doing. There's some Guinness show or something. So this guy, you know, pretty impressive, right? He's pretty steady going down there, timing him. He's about to get down to the end of his uh, little trek there. And uh, I'm thinking that's pretty amazing to be able to do that. Good job, dude. All right. Now, check this guy out. <laughs> I saw him like, you have got to be kidding me. That guy is flying down steps on his hands. It just doesn't make sense. He gets all the way down to the 50th step in 14.5 seconds. That's, that's amazing. But here's the thing. I'm pretty sure I could beat him. I am using my legs. Maybe. <laughs> now, I, I will tell you this, too. I'd be, have to put braces on. I'd be icing my knees afterward, you know, probably be in bed for a few days. But I'm pretty sure if I really tried hard that I could get down 50 steps on my feet faster than 14 and a half seconds. Why? Because that's what feet and legs are intended for, not hands, right? I mean, yes, there are things that people can do. To, to compensate, or there are ways that you can use parts of the body that were never intended to be used that way. But why would we do that? How much better is it when the parts of the body are actually doing what they're designed to do? You see, sometimes when a part of the body isn't working right, the rest of the body just learns to compensate for it. You sprain your ankle, what happens? You, you, you kind of keep walking, but you know, you maybe have one of these, just kind of a little bit of a limp because your ankle isn't working right. The body still functions, it just doesn't function the way it should. How many times does the body of Christ, does the local church, how many times is, is the body limping along because every part of the body is not really doing what they're designed to do? I mean, the body still functions, right? The body can still do things. It just doesn't function at its full capacity, because each part is not doing its work. My encouragement for you today is, again, going back to verse 1, not to be ignorant about spiritual gifts, but figure out what that looks like for you. Because you do have a part in the body. And, and go through and read the rest of chapter 12 on your own. And just some of you are very familiar with it. But just that reminder that there is no part that is so small that it's insignificant. Every part matters. And the body functions at its best when every part is doing what it's designed to do. So I want to encourage you to figure that out and to find a way to utilize those gifts. And by the way, it may not be within the walls of the church. It may be that you're utilizing those gifts in some other way. I had somebody actually this week that went through and took that online spiritual gift inventory. And one of the things that came out, one of the passions that she has is to, to work with kids you know, that need a little extra attention or whatever. And, and I was able to say, hey, did you know that Wiley ISD has a program where there are mentors that go and meet with kids? I didn't know that. I was excited about it. That not something necessarily that directly is involved 
within our church, but using those gifts in other ways is important too. Using those gifts to, to take the gospel message even outside the walls. So um, I want to encourage you to take that step. Go online. And by the way, even if you've done this before, sometimes our spiritual gifts tend to shift a little bit depending on our stage of life and what God is wanting us to do and how God is working. So it's not always the same. Even if you've done it before, we encourage you to do that. Uh, but, but just spend some time really praying through that and asking the question, Lord, how can, can you work through me? Realizing it's not about me. That's not the point. The point is, God, I want you to work through me. I want you to help me to find a way that I can be a, a part of the body the way you've designed me to be a part of the body, uh, knowing that you are gifted by God and that God wants you on his team and he wants you to use the gifts that he's given you. Let's pray. Lord, today um, I do ask that you will help us um, to <clears throat> just take those steps to, to delve in further. And Lord, to discover how you've gifted us and what that looks like. Uh, Lord, thank you that you have chosen to work through us. We know that you didn't have to do that, but, uh, but that is the way you designed it. So we're grateful for that. And I pray that you would help us uh, to, to find our place and find our way to serve you most effectively. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.